thank you for joining us today. This is the Man Overseas Podcast. Matt Horry is my guest today. He's an attorney, commercial real estate developer, and a quasi-venture capitalist. He occupies a special place in my life um, and on the Man Overseas website. I've written about him quite a bit. So he is the guy that I mentioned on Bigger Pockets. So if you recall, I said that I had a good buddy whose brother died recently and that he told me shortly thereafter, you know, after what I've been through, I feel like nobody can fuck with me. And that resonated with me so much that I felt compelled to mention it on the biggest podcast that I've been on. I also mentioned him on a podcast called Solarpreneur Grind and in a blog post called My Journey Into Real Estate, where I wrote about the value of roommates, if you want to check it out. Matt and I lived together for four years in college, and then a year after college, he moved in with me in Houston, which enabled me to house hack, incidentally. One of the things I write about is that Mark, uh, Matt had remarkable habits, and it was around that time when we were sort of feeding off of each other that I realized the importance of surrounding yourself with people who have good habits and people who encourage and inspire you. It's important. He's doing big things with his life now, which is why I asked him to come on the podcast. It was no surprise to me that he's doing big things, but um, I wanted to have him on because he's one of those guys that if you can't be him, you want to be around him. He's just got this appetite for life and for success that is infectious. So let me introduce Matthew Ori. Matt, welcome to the Man Overseas Podcast, buddy. Brad, good to see you again, and thank you for that completely unwarranted uh, introduction, but I do appreciate it, man. It is truly a pleasure to be here with you right now. It's great having you on. We're sitting here in Thibodeau, Louisiana. In Do you own this title company? I do. Okay. So we put blankets over the table so that we could control for the echo because the Julia Va episode had a terrible echo and my audio engineer was not able to fix that. So I appreciate you breaking out the blankets and um, this is going to be good, man. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Me too, man. Cool. All right, so you've lived here all your life, right? I have. Okay. So I grew up here. I lived here from 80 to 93 and then moved to Houston, Texas, and then came back for college, which is where we were roommates. So what is it? What is the draw of this place? Like you've lived here your entire life. Did you move away for only that one year when you lived with me in Houston? No, I, I moved away as well. Uh, law school in Loyola. Excuse me, in New Orleans, attending Loyola University. Other than that, primarily I have been here. It's a place that's very special to me. It's got its nuances, unlike many others. But it has been um, a joy to 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 live here. Very special people, special place, great culture, and a great place to be for Mardi Gras. Absolutely. <laughs> people ask me all the time, like whether they should go to New Orleans to experience Mardi Gras, and I tell them. Try a small town like Thibodeau or Homa because they have parades where you'll be surrounded by probably the most hospitable people that you will ever meet in your life. They'll always make sure that you have something to eat. Um, one of the gals who works here just came in here and made sure that we had water to drink. I mean, it's just a special place with special people. You won't meet a better, more friendly atmosphere. You won't encounter that anywhere in the world. And I would know. I've been, I've been a few places. I agree, man. <laughs> Easy to complain about it, but at the same time, you get drawn right back in. Yeah. 
So, in fact, one of my all-time favorite experiences is when you invited me to ride in the Mardi Gras parade. Do you remember that? <laughs> so I that, do. That was Vaguely, a, but I remember it. That was a big deal for me, man. Like, I don't, I don't know that people around here realize just how unique of an experience that is in the world where you get to ride in the back of a truck or a truck is pulling a float and everybody drinks all day and you buy about like, I think I bought $1,100 worth of beads, right? And you have cups and you have these like Nerf footballs and it's just a party all day long, dude. It's, it really is like top five experiences of my life. So I appreciate that invite. You're very welcome, my friend. You and I have such great chats all the time that if someone could have access to some of the value that the value exchange that we have all the time, that it just would really be a benefit. So I wanted to share you with my listeners. And I thought we would start with your mindset um, because I go to your house and I see quotes that you have on your wall. And I'm a person, too, that sort of lives by quotes, I internalize them and they serve as sort of a compass. Um, are there quotes? Do you have particular quotes that you live by? Why don't we start there? I do, man. There, there are some in particular that seem to be ingrained in me. And I'll start with number one is as simple as no excuses. Two words. Learned from a junior college coach of mine, J.R. Teagues. Quick story about that. I had just had arm surgery six weeks into the season, my first fall in college baseball. I've got a sling on. After receiving um, a shoulder surgery, and I am told that I need to fetch foul balls to stay in the game, if you will. And one foul ball gets hit, gets hit on top of the dugout, and coach looks at me as if signaling to get the ball. I said, Coach, I can't climb, man. I got one on. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, You know the drill. There's no excuses. And he's telling me, Take off. You go and run poles now. So there I went, pole to pole to pole to pole. And that's foul pole along the warning track to uh, the other foul pole. This went on, I felt like, for an hour. And I'm sitting there going, man, this is the real deal. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there with a sling and you're running. But it was a valuable learning, learning um, tool for me because he's right. There's no room for excuses. You're taught, you take that on the chin and you deal with it. You know, we're not going to blame other people. Even if it's not your fault, you make it your fault and you figure out how to make things better. Number two is putting the cap on the toothpaste, <laughs> which to me is it is incremental in starting your morning because it's teaching you to finish what you start. You know, and that is that's a principle that's completely overlooked. And I can't tell you how important it is. And it's great because it literally starts your day. If you're starting your day like most people by brushing your teeth, it's a little bitty symbol that will keep you alive that day saying, I need to do the little things right. I need to finish what I start. And then anyone who knows me has probably heard me say a million times that pigs live and hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> and by that, man, I'm, I'm talking about greed. Desire is great. You should, you should have a burning desire for what it is that you want to achieve. But at the same time, you cannot get greedy. You know, book after book from Dale Carnegie to Napoleon Hill, all these special authors talk about these principles. And along those lines is having to give to get. You have to. It's part of the journey. And by that, that's where they're saying, don't be selfish. Don't be a hog. So, you know, 
on top of that, the rest of the mindset is simple. Two other things that I pride myself on is I make myself live with a sense of urgency. I will not let myself get comfortable. It is not in my blood. You know, and, and many people have asked me, do you enjoy living a stressed life? You know, and a lot of times there's an internal struggle there where I think about it. But at the same time, I wouldn't be me without it. I operate best under high stress situations. And that stress stems from me holding myself accountable. It stems from me consistently creating a sense of urgency. Yeah, you said a lot there that I like and agree with. So I'll start from the back and work my way up. So your stress, you're saying, is self-inflicted? To a certain degree, yes, because I'm never satisfied. And you thrive on it. I do. Okay. I really do. And look, I'm telling you now, that's not something that I, I, it is an internal between the ears debate that I have myself all day long. And we've talked in the past, I admire people who don't have that sense of urgency, who seem to be laid back. You know, the grass is not always greener, and that's what I try and tell myself. But when I really go back to it, I look at it and I go, I'd rather have a sense of urgency. Mm. But I can appreciate that state of mind that I think that person's in, that at that time I'm wishing, man, I wish I just didn't care this much. Unfortunately, I do. And I learn to live with it and use it to my advantage. I think we're all conflicted about that. And you probably more so because you so much thrive on high stress situations. But when you think about it, the human species, we wouldn't have perpetuated itself if we didn't want more and more and more. And it's part of the reproductive nature of the organism, human beings, that you have to develop yourself to be attractive in order to perpetuate the species. Maybe I'm kind of meandering a little bit, a little bit too much here, but I, I totally relate to what you're saying. And, and we all maybe, I mean, I do at least feel this tug between growth and enough. And I have in the back of my mind that when you think about home, when you're at work, you're going to think about work when you're at home. And so I think the, the idea of a work-life balance is a fraud. I think it's bullshit. I think that those who are incredibly successful are those who have a burning de desire to succeed. And Napoleon Hill talked about that in Think and Grow Rich. What if you had to be rich? Are there some things that you could do that would lead you or at least increase the likelihood of you becoming rich? And so... I thought what underpinned the entire book was this idea of persistence, that like that was the key. And persistent people are those who inflict stress on themselves, which motivates them to achieve. Am I uh, thinking along the right lines of where you're at? You are. Napoleon Hill goes a little bit further and he talks about to get to that point, you have to have the requisite desire. Mm. That's the fuel that stimulates everything you just talked about. And from the desire becomes a persistence. From the persistence becomes just an absolute train of thought. You become a maniac. Mm. You know, and that is it you you become so driven and so focused that there is no other way than success. And that's how you have to think. Every day when I go into something, I don't look at it saying I'm not going to be successful. I can't be like that. 
I can't afford to slip one inch. You know, every day you've got to win the day. And that desire starts when those eyes open in the morning. Have you read anything about Buddhism? Very little. Okay. So because I quote unquote retired early, it gives me some time to read about different religions. And one of the things that I found was interesting about the Buddhists was that they believe that happiness is the absence of desire. Isn't that interesting? So everybody <laughs> de defines happiness differently. I define, I've come to define happiness as I get older as I think it's interchangeable with peace for me. So if you ask me if my home life is good, my home life is wonderful because I have peace. The thrill of the deal probably makes you happy. You thrive on it. Helping a client, getting a not guilty verdict probably makes you happy. You thrive on that. No doubt. I'm curious how you got into real estate development. Well, if I'm not mistaken, you were the first person uh, that was in my life that was into real estate at the time, not necessarily development, but into house hacking, if you will, housing rentals. I actually was one of your tenants as your roommate, <laughs> and I was able to see and appreciate watching real estate work for someone else. And from that point in time, it certainly became a passion of mine. We have talked about this before. I, I jumped straight in. I didn't buy a book. I bought a condo um, off of a lead that someone had given me in Baton Rouge in the downtown area. But I learned a ton from that from that investment. Didn't make money on it. Lost a couple of dollars. And I'd lose them every day, all day again, because it is the most valuable lessons that I've learned so far in real estate. Of what to do, but more importantly, what not to do, what to look for, what not to look for. Very, very interesting to say the least, looking back 10 years ago on that investment. That's a great point. I know Tim Ferriss has talked about how instead of getting an MBA, he saved $50,000 and he did a real world MBA, right? And is is that kind of what you're talking about? You, it was like a trial by fire and you learned more losing a little bit of money on that deal than you would have standing on a stack of 15 books. I'm not kidding, man. I literally saw it and I jumped in. I knew I was doing it and now was the time. It was a is an investment. When I looked at it saying, okay, if this doesn't work out, it's not going to kill me. Yeah. Wasn't, I'd saved a little bit of money. Um, if I remember correctly, the purchase price of the condo was right at $72,000. It was a sheriff's sale. And looking back, knew nothing. I didn't know about interest rates. I didn't understand that interest rates in the commercial setting versus your personal setting are completely different. Insurance rates are higher. The value of a quality tenant, the value of surrounding neighborhoods, whether someone is a sex offender that's living next door, all these things, the crime rate, all this, education, what's next to it, what's coming, is there anything coming? I had no clue. And you know what? It was not something that that was the, the best decision of mine at the time financially, but it's been the best decision of my life to jump in um, and put myself to the fire immediately. Yeah, so I just think that kind of thing says a lot about a person. And those who have quotes in their mind, they become like guiding principles and, and like a compass for you to live by. You just kind of, it's almost like an exercise that you flash in your mind. It's a subconscious voice that doesn't shut up. Exactly. It bothers me. It haunts you. And yeah. it's sad because some people ask, you know, why, how do you want to live like that? You're constantly on edge. I'm saying I, I didn't I didn't choose this. This is how I'm wired. 
Yeah. But you've got to take what's given and figure out how to make it work for you. I like having a sense of urgency. Yeah. I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to sit home. I want to think that this is my last day. Yeah. And often I remember that. I'm telling you, I'll be on a tractor sometimes at my camp. And you're going at it for seven, eight hours. You're drenched. You're full of dirt. And you, 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 you're saying to yourself, man, I've got one more to go. One more. I've got one more field to plow. And you just kicks in. And you look at it and it's subconscious voice because you've said it to yourself so much, you believe it. And it mm-hmm. doesn't let you stop. And people think you're crazy. They do because it's rare and it's becoming exceedingly rare because it's so easy to sit on your couch and watch Netflix nowadays or get lost in your phone. And I think that's why meditation has become in vogue is because people are losing not only religion, but losing their focus. And what you said about putting your the cap on the toothpaste reminds me of that admiral who said that you should make your bed every day. I think it's the same concept. I wonder how much of your sense of urgency, which I have too, even as a quote unquote retired person, when my wife and I go somewhere, we travel somewhere, we're like, okay, let's see as much as we can in this day. And that stems from that same take advantage of the day, carpe diem, make the most of your time, life is brief. How much of your mindset do you think, I referenced in the introduction that you um, lost your only brother. Mike was a hell of a human being. Can you tell me what made Mike so incredible? And, and I'm, then I'm going to ask you, how do you think that impacted your mindset and sense of urgency? Well, I can definitely answer that about Mike. And then the sense of urgency, actually, I think that that stems from my dad. But I'll get into that in just a second. But Mike, it's easy. There was no one that he, he didn't like. And he never talked about people, which is such an odd um, trait for someone to have these days, the guy would never have anything negative to say about someone. And mm. everywhere you go to this day, man, you go there. And I remember that funeral and they, the, the priest just got frustrated saying, you've got to stop. We've got to start. And people were piling in. He had an infectious smile. Now, what's crazy is Mike and I were polar opposites. Mike was happy-go-lucky. Mike didn't stress about much. Mike didn't have the sense of urgency that I have. And that's why I respected him so much, because I felt like he lived a a much less stressful life than me. And I admired that because I can't change it. That's always going to be who I am. But we got that. I got that from someone, my portion, which is my dad. And you got to remember, I have an 81-year-old dad who to this day, every day, no exception, not Christmas, not Mardi Gras, not Easter. He takes 10,000 steps minimum a day, closer to 15. He works out every morning. I've never seen him eat fast food. You do not see him drink soft drinks. You do not see him eat artificial sugar. It is He is the most disciplined human. And my sense of urgency comes from I can't replicate what he does. And it drives me crazy because I'm saying he leads by example. He's very quiet. He is so driven, so disciplined that it makes me feel like what is he doing? You know, and then I got Mike. I feel like he's watching me going, huh, he's what? Dad's 81 walking circles around you. And that's truly how I think every morning. I'm going, Jesus, my dad's out the door every morning. He's like clockwork. He's 81 still four and a half days a week because he takes that Wednesday off now to cut half the block's grass. <laughs> but that's part of his exercise. Mm. When he is done, he's worked out. He's done everything he has to do. And he's out the door by 730 every morning like clockwork. And that's pretty fascinating. The man's never sick, but he, he always tells me your body's like an engine. If you shut that engine down, you're going to have problems. Mm. And you just go, you go, you go, you go. Because hard work will trump anything. I don't care what JCT score is. I don't care what the LSAT score was. The last guy that I interviewed that's working with us now, 
have a tremendous amount of respect for. I didn't ask him a question about where he graduated from. I didn't ask him what his GPA was. I didn't really ask him what he wanted to do. I want to know what time he woke up in the morning. I want to know what he ate. And I want to know if he polished his shoes. And that's a good start because you don't need to wear fancy shoes. You don't need to wear a fancy suit, but it can be clean. Your shoes need to be clean. You need to present well. And if you do that, that means you care about yourself. And if you care about yourself, you're going to care about others. And it project, it's a direct correlation to your work. You know, and he's got outstanding work ethic here every morning at 7.30, never leaves before 5, doesn't complain. I wanted to know what he eats for lunch. And people, you know, think I'm crazy, but it's not crazy. It's not. Ask about habits. It's habits, man. It's habits 101. And if you can't start there, we don't really have much else to talk about. <laughs> you know, we talk about friends and that circles become smaller and smaller the older you get because you are going to, you have to surround yourself with people that you think, you know, you, you, you've got to bring something to the table. I'm not going to sit here with someone who's going to be up at 930. I had a conversation today at lunch with this nice uh, waiter at a restaurant. And she says, man, she's yawned. I said, well, what are you tired for? It's 12 o'clock. She goes, well, I woke up at 830. I said, and you're tired? <laughs> and she laughed. I said, well, I'm assuming you went to sleep at three. And she chuckled. But I'm thinking to myself, that's the world we live in this day. Yeah. It's, it's the norm. You work a couple hours and sleep late, and that's okay. Look, a lot of that I admire about people because I feel like sometimes at their life, maybe they get more out of it. I don't know the answer to that because I don't know what it's like to not feel stressed. In fact, I don't operate stress-free. I can't. I won't. I won't. It's, just, it's impossible for me to do, and sometimes it frustrates me. But I've learned to use that to my advantage. What does your dad think about that? My dad probably wouldn't know. He has no idea. You know, you, would ask, you and I talked one time. We are talking about people. And I talked about you and Dustin, my brother. People who had no idea I was watching. And yes, he's a dad. But you, you know, my dad's very soft. He didn't speak much. He's just very quiet to himself. He doesn't know how, how much I look up to him. You know, he, he no clue. If you'd ask him today, he'd say, oh, Matt's just being mad. No idea how much I've watched. But I appreciate it because there's no one on this earth that I respect more. And, and I truly mean that because because for me, I've got to respect you. And if I respect you, I'm going to treat you well. And I respect you if you work hard, mm. not because of your brain, not because how intelligent you are, because you got up and you went to work. Mm. And this could go into another eight hours if we get talking to politics and work ethic. But I truly admire more than anything someone who, who gets right to work. There's nothing that you can top in my mind, a, a better character trait for me than that. It trumps all. Well, that makes you impressive, and I'm sure that's why you and I were uh, roommates for so long. We lived together for four years, and I had never seen somebody study so hard as what you did that first year of law school. And it's really impressive because it's exceedingly rare. There are other things, though, that I want to talk about that make you incredible because those who know you don't know what you went through at the end of Mike's life. It was just you and him living at your house. And at times he was so weak that he needed to be carried upstairs. And that's not something that you've told many people. And when I heard that, I thought of you as a Christ-like figure bearing the burden of your cross, undeservedly so, as, as Christ did. Um, we all have a a cross to bear at some point in our lives. Uh, but yours was a lot heavier than most. And it's powerful stuff, man. And, and I, 
I want to know in what way that experience impacts you now in, in how you go about your daily living. Hmm. Well, you're definitely right about one thing, um, and it's not being a Christ-like figure, but what you are right is I talk about that to no one. I mean, even... He'd be proud of you, Matt. Man, I really still can't talk about it. I understand. Can I ask you this? When someone loses someone close to them, a lot of people don't know how to approach their friend who has lost someone. And I think people listening have been in this situation, and if they haven't yet, they will be. But they don't know what's appropriate. Um, you can't imagine how they feel if you haven't been through it. You and I have talked about ways that you don't want to be approached when something like that happens. But I just think that it would be helpful for people to know what, what can people say, if anything, because I think a lot of people end up depressed and isolated because their friends, out of fear of saying the wrong thing, don't communicate with their friend. Well, one thing that I certainly know is that everyone reacts differently to every situation. I have a tendency, as you can see, I don't want to talk about it. A letter, a text, you know, whatever it may be, because at the end of the day, it wasn't about me. I didn't give a rip. It was so far off the radar. You're in a trance. And I, I don't even remember, you know, really what what people did. I do remember appreciating just people reaching out and you probably respond. Thank you. You know, talking was not uh, really on the radar, but it, it was crazy. But that's as bad as it gets for me. Sky's the limit now. You know, I mean, I've said that before. You got me. But now it's my turn. Yeah. And you just, you bear the storm. It's not that you're bearing a cross. It just, I still to this day, man, I don't, I just don't, I can't talk about it. Well, there's carryover too, because I benefit from it. Because after you and I had that talk, I was, I, I sent you a text the next morning after you told me that you felt like nobody can mess with you now. And, That's right. And I woke up that next day fired up and I was probably a kinder person that day. 
And so who knows what ripple effect that has on my friends and the people that I interact with. So I know that you're somebody who looks at the positive side of things. You're going to find the good in people. That's how Mike was. That's right. So... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm ex I like to hear that they can't get you now. Can you talk about the psychological and emotional impact of something like that? Like, here's a story. The person you talk to every day is gone. You think it's unfair, but at the end of the day, you have to look and see how bad things are for other people. I'll say this so I'm blue in the face. This, this is. It's. It's. His death is nothing about me. I never viewed him as a tough guy. It just wasn't him. I'm not saying he wasn't tough. I'm just saying that's not who he was. Mike was, let's talk sports. We're talking about a guy who's been to every single major league stadium, every SEC stadium, a sports junkie. He's been around the world. Happy, go lucky. But the mental tenacity that he exhibited for six years was something I, have ne I could never, ever, ever do. And he deflected a lot of attention, right? Because he played it down, didn't he? Always. All he did was read SEAL books, Special Forces, Navy SEALs, which I had no idea he even had an interest in. And if, if it got onto him, he would get angry. You know, donations would come in, sign the back, give it to so-and-so. I heard. But, you he know. He wanted the money to go to somebody who needed it more. It did. And he felt grateful. But he, uh, you know, he'll never be forgotten. Look what it's done. It's just, it, it lights a fire where every single day I've got to hold myself accountable to him and him only. You know, I, it sounds crazy to say, I don't know, I don't know who the superior being is. I don't, I, I don't really get into that. But what I do know is I had a brother in here and he's somewhere and I got to, I've got to, I have a standard that I've got to exhibit to him and to only him. And it's hard. <laughs> it's like his spirit is with you at all times. Yeah. I mean, it's like he's sitting there laughing. I, I can't figure it out, but it, it's it's everywhere I go. But it's good because it drives the shit out of me. I don't get nervous. My voice doesn't crack. I can barely talk right now. Now, if we got subject him, I'm night and day. But I don't talk about him. I just remember every day. I want to talk about your career because... You're a, a defense attorney, right? Defense attorney. We do a lot of car accident work here. Um, also, I have a partner who's a neurosurgeon who's also got a JD, so we do a lot of medical malpractice. But in, in, within our firm, I primarily handle the criminal defense. My other partner handles our car accident work. The other partner handles our med mal. And you serve the Thibodeau, Homa, Terrebonne, Lafouche, St. Mary. Med mal is more statewide because it's so specialized what we do here. We get referrals from around the state because there's just not many doctor slash attorneys, much less a neurosurgeon who had the top board score in his time um, when he took the boards. So it's been a unique advantage for us, to say the least. Okay, so you serve Louisiana. If someone listening needed help in Houston or Austin or Dallas, could they? Yes, we're, Carson's actually licensed in Texas as well, Dr. McEwen. Um, so we have a license. We're licensed in Alabama, Texas, and Louisiana. Nice. Is law what you expected it to be? 
man, I didn't know what I was getting into. It's one of those things, like everything else I've done in my life, I just jumped straight in. I had a trial within three days of passing the bar, a bench trial. I had a jury trial within six months, a five-day jury trial, and I had no idea what to expect. The woman I was working for, who I still love dearly to this day, and we laugh about this, says she's going to attend. She doesn't. I have five counts of cruelty to a juvenile. i rip off four not guilties and one guilty, and I'm, I'm, I'm devastated. I didn't know any better what I just did. No clue. And what ended up happening is a girl spends six months in jail versus about 15 years in jail. And I come out devastated, of course. Why? I'm hungry. I'm never satisfied. I'm thinking, what more could I have done? I didn't realize at the time how hard it was to achieve a not guilty verdict in this world, especially in Louisiana at the time. Um, but I jumped in, man. Very similar to real estate, but it's a grind. I can tell you that. Yeah. It's, I tell people all the time, my profession is certainly not more important than anyone but I'll put the stress level on top of it. Because you're not, if you're here to see me, you're facing jail time. If you're here to see David, you've been injured in an accident. If you've seen Corson, you've probably lost someone. You know, something tragic's happened. Only, we make our money on others' demise. Mm. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's not fun, there's nothing cool about that. It is what it is, that's my job. You don't come see me in pleasant settings until I open the title company. That is pleasant. And it's a whole different avenue. It gives me a release from the trial work. You know, we have those two offices, one they're side by side, as you can see. So you help people close on real estate and everybody's high-fiving and oh. you take some of your clients fishing, right? Man, we're all over the place. <laughs> I am loving this. It's just, I'm so grateful for anything that comes in the door. And, and I am on the other side too, don't get me wrong. But it's different when you have a happy setting. Your agent's making money. Your broker's making money. The seller got his house sold. The buyer's buying his first home. And I'm sitting here just high-fiving. You know, it's, it's, it is fun. And it's fun generating business, man. That gets me going. Now, there's times at night where I'm scripting 11, 12, 1 at night. I'm shooting out emails. People going, what about this idea? I really like this. And it, it doesn't stop, man. The TV doesn't go on. The notepad comes out. Knowing what you know now, what, what would you... What would you have done different in undergrad or what would you tell somebody who's in, in undergrad that's considering going into law? Like anything else, if you are willing to work, you can do well. Like any other industry, man, we're full of a bunch of lazy people in our industry too. And that's everywhere. Just work hard. If you're going to do it, get to it. Don't be a jack of all trades. Get good at something. Specialize in something. Don't try and do everything because that just does not work out. Mm. Dedicate it to a specific topic and just you don't a good lawyer doesn't mean you're a travel lawyer you know there's all these different capacities there's individuals who sit behind a desk all day long they're excellent at what they do there's attorneys who go to court and they're excellent at what they do you know so it's a different breed just figure it out and be ready to work your ass off because it's competitive um but it, it can be done you know just be ready for a stressful life but some people enjoy it like me i i, I can't function without it I don't know a stress-free life. Never will. Don't want to. Would it be better to go into law in a big city or a small town? Or is that personal preference? Man, you know, I can't answer that because I never practiced in a bigger city. But the, I, I feel like here you can maybe build your brand a little bit quicker if you work hard in a smaller environment. Um, but I, I really I can't answer the other side of that token because I don't know. I've never practiced in a, in a big city. I've always come here. This is where I knew people. And I felt like if I did it, if I performed a good service for them, word of mouth would spread quickly. 
hopefully that has. Um, but I just feel like it's a little bit easier to build business here if you're going to go off on your own. And yeah. I did that at a very early age. It didn't take it was less than 24 months and I was out the door. I knew it had to work for me. Mm. You mean work for yourself? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm hard to deal with. There's no question about it. I, I, I want certain things done. I like to push buttons and we're going to go. And you can either get on board or you can get out the way. It's one of the two, but I'm not interested in, I want to, I want to fail on my own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Put it on me. My dad's always told me that he's, he's had a partner once in his life and it didn't last very long because he knew that he, he wanted things done a certain way, right or wrong. I don't know, but it's less confusion. It's, it is, it's less to deal with. And at the end of the day, I've got me to blame. I don't want to worry about somebody else. So that portion that, that's what I. That, that's what drove me to jump off quick. Accountability. Accountability. I want to be accountable for my actions, right or wrong. Is there anything that someone can read or watch that would be an accurate portrayal of criminal defense, like in, in what you do, or do you watch it on TV and think, oh, this is Hollywood BS. Like, this is not how it is. I'll say this: it can get quite interesting if I were a layperson. And I, and I was selected for jury duty. We get this all the time. I know I, I, I particularly get very animated and I start believing. You start putting that time energy in the case, it's going to come out of the courtroom. So I, there is portions of what you see on TV that is absolutely correct. There's legal extortion that goes on all the time. There are ways, it, it's, it's very entertaining if presented by the right people. Now, you can go in there in the wrong setting with the wrong attorneys and think this is the worst thing I've ever seen or experienced in my life. But if you see some guys get after it who have worked hard and know the facts of the case, you'd be pretty interested. Mm. But you don't want to sit on a you know, jury or a contract dispute. Well, that can get pretty boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're dealing with life or death, man. Things get very interesting, very escalated. You, you, those cross-examinations that you see on TV, that's, that's how the real world works sometimes, man. And you're in there, and I tell people all the time, you're going to love me or hate me when you come out, but there will be no middle ground. <laughs> There's a book by Victor Bugliosi that I read. Have you heard of him? He no. was a defense attorney. He wrote a great book called Outrage, The Five Reasons Why O.J. Simpson Got Away with Murder. And he tries the case as if he was Marsha Clark or Christopher Durden, I think was the guy's name, that, that tried to prosecute O.J. in the criminal trial. Anyway, it's an excellent book, and it was eye-opening for me. And you'd really like it because he was somebody who believed that more important than the will to win was the will to prepare. So he put in a lot of time and it shows in that book. You'd really like it. Brett, I can tell you, and this is just not with that, but I know that mentality goes on the trout. I get so focused on not losing that it drives me. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the bar. Why you'd see me in there losing 15 pounds, you know, in the first semester of law school. Same thing with the bar. It's probably 20 pounds higher than I am right now. I want to finally finish that thing. I was so driven not to fail that you just didn't stop. It reversed my patterns from I remember studying. I isolated myself the last three weeks at, our, at my parents' camp. And I started waking. It, it reversed so bad that I would start studying around 5, five to 6 p.m. And that would go on until 5 or 6 in the morning. And it completely reversed my sleep habits where I'd wake up and like say by the bells on TV. <laughs> and I'd start again. I'm not kidding. And I started going literally straight 12, 14 through the night. Mm. And it was crazy. But again, going back to that book, it's the same thing. It's just desire and preparation go a very long way. 
And so do you think about the future referrals or the paycheck or your reputation? I know this for me personally, and I say this all the time, and let's use a hundred, for example, out of a hundred people, I can satisfy 99 and I'm saying hypothetically, and that's great. But you know, what's going to drive me crazy is that one. I had the, I do not have the ability to, to focus and say, great, I've done good for these 99, but that one drives me insane. I can relate to that with what I'm doing now because you can get praise and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you have the podcast, Spotify or the blog. Even when I write articles, you can get praise and then from 100 people and you get that one person that's like, you're an asshole. And it's like, wait, why am I an asshole? Maybe he's right. You know, and you start to second guess yourself. So I think everybody goes through that, but just you on a, on a bigger stage probably. Yeah. What's the biggest misconception about defense attorneys? Oh, man, there's many. Just And, and, and you know, the, the sad thing is they're not all misconceptions. Mm. Many are just absolute dirtbags that their client's never guilty. Come on, man. Are you joking? This is about mitigation of damage. This is not necessarily win or lose all the time. My job is to make these things fit, to mitigate your damage. It is not always walking you out of a courtroom. I've done it before. I've got acquittals on murder trials. I've got acquittal on on multiple, a terrorism charge, a rape case. But at the end of the day, it's not always win or lose. It is being truthful. There's nothing wrong with telling a judge, hey, judge, here's the deal. My client's guilty. However, here are the mitigating factors. Since that point in time that we've gotten to where we are, he's obtained a job. He's passed every drug test. He's actually reversed his role. You see what I mean? So there's all these different layers and so many people will go in and just absolutely not tell the truth to someone. Their client's never wrong. Their client's never guilty. That's not the case, man. We know that. It's it, it, those are few far in between. Is part of your job a sales job to your client to maybe admit guilt where he's hesitant to do so? My job is not to be a friend. My job is to put you in the optimal position for an optimal disposition. And when it comes time for that, and you're going to become combative, and I I use that term loosely, you know what I mean? But if you're not going to listen to advice, I'm going to come very stern with you and say, we're going to put this in writing. We're going to put this on the record. And it's up to you. But I'm telling you right now, if we proceed, things are going to get worse. You hired me for a reason. I would suggest that you listen to what I'm telling you right now. If you don't, what happens to those pigs? Then it's slaughtered. If you no, pigs hog. live. Sorry, hogs That's get right. slaughtered. <laughs> but you become a hog. Yeah. And you get slaughtered. And by slaughter, I mean time. Your time escalates. Time in prison. So, yeah, there are times where you really have to beat it down, and you're not telling them it's not necessarily that they're not guilty, um, or, or maybe it's not what they're guilty of what they were charged with. But then you've got the charge amended. You know, it might be a possession with intent to distribute a Schedule Two. That's really a possession, and you got it amended. Well, now it's time to say, all right, we got to own up to our actions here. Be accountable. Mm-hmm. It prevails. Just you know, so that 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 part can get difficult. Believe me. Yeah, it's you're not, trying to reason with someone who's probably highly emotional. Yeah, as as they would be, and you can understand that, you yeah. know. And I have a lot of times. Look, it's hard for me. You know me very well. When I get jacked up, I'm pretty emotional, and I want to go toe for toe and. and if you want to go that route, we can do that too. 
And many a times that's how stern you have to be. But I, I tell people that all the time. I've got to come in. I've got to hit you in the jaw. <laughs> I've got to get your respect immediately and let you know who is controlling this, because if not, it's going to get out of hand. And there's going to be a time where I've got to be stern. You've got to listen. And if you don't, good luck. Let's talk about your real estate investing, because when I got to town a few hours ago, you took me around and showed me some of the properties that you have. No, where we're sitting right now is the best. Which yeah. is? The one I named after my brother. Oh, the one's a building that we're sitting in. Yes. Oh, I got you. Yeah. So that, that went down. The um, We were upstairs. This was probably in the last... It was near his death, but long story short, the fella, Jimmy Johns, as you can see in here, is one of my tenants. And their uh, franchisee here is also a registered nurse, and he was upstairs, and he was there to take care of my brother. And my brother looked at him, and he said, Matt, you need to build a, you need to open a Jimmy Johns in Thibodeau. And he's kind of laughing with, with the franchisee. I said, well, you know, I can't open it, but I sure could build it, and they could rent from me. And when I tell you, he passed away, and within 72 hours, I was nonstop. And I had this deal done quick, mm. lightning speed. Um, and and we, start, we, we never looked back. So I named it after him, and here we are. But you know, this one's consisting of, let's see, this one's 11,500 square feet, the entirety between this and Big Mike's Barbecue. But, you know. It's 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 grown from there, but this one's special. They're all special to me, but this one in particular because I get to have his name just front and center on a monument that I keep very clean, a monument signing with all the tenants on it. But lets people not forget, and I certainly don't forget. You know, I mean, it's something that I was able to do after him. I know he's like, he enjoys that. <laughs> but what he really enjoyed is the, you know, going back to where the the whole commercial sector came in for me was walk-ons at home. Myself and, and two business partners. Walk-ons is a, a bar restaurant. Correct. Walk-ons is a, a bar that is bar slash restaurant that is gosh, it's grown big. Owned by Brandon Landry, Drew Brees. Super great concept that we believed in and got to know Brandon you know, you learn all these things to this deal. You're watching how easily the ability to raise capital was, which I ne that was never on my radar. Guys were chomping at the bit. Banks were chomping at the bit to get on the act, not because of us, because of walk-ons. But we believed in that concept just as much as they did. We knew why they were fired up. We've been talking about this for months before they ever saw it. Was it because Drew Brees was an owner? He wasn't even in on it yet. This was before that he bought into walk-ons. This was um, this was just when Brandon was doing what he does. And if you ever met him, he's an incredible guy too, but it, it, super killer concept. But what Mike loved about that is at the grand opening, there's a picture of uh, Josh Dustin and I on the back wall and when we played at Nichols. And my, my favorite picture is him at the table where it is with me in the background on the wall. And I never knew about that picture. And a uh, buddy of mine, Shane Bodiam, sent it to me out the blue. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is awesome. And I had that picture framed today. But that is that is one of, that's my favorite picture I possess, actually. That's cool. Because he was so proud. So, 
do you have partners in all your deals? Like the, the deal that you mentioned earlier with the three lots, did you have a partner in that one? My contract, Eric Tate, um, you know, I like to say part of my team, or maybe I'm part of his team, but he is, I don't have a, a, a partner in all deals. I do have partners in, in quite a few. Dustin, Josh, and I have invested in, in a substantial amount of real estate. And I uh, also own that particular deal with Eric. And then, um, you know, some stuff that I do in Arkansas with Catch River Farms. I have partners there. Same two partners on a third of that. Half of what I do involves partners, but it's a very tight group. It's, it's two different groups of partners, if you will. T talk through your, your Arkansas deal, because I know that's a pretty cool concept. So going back to Arkansas, what we have there is it's called Cash River Farms. Cash River is a cash is spelled C A C H E, and it's a super special place to me. Anyone who knows me knows I'm very passionate about whitetail deer hunting. I've spent a long time on that river, twelve years. This will be year thirteen. I've spent every Thanksgiving there for that long. I've not missed one, and I'll spend I'll spend at least twenty days a year in Arkansas in some capacity, and just about every day of that we touch that river. So. Not only is it important to me, but more importantly, it is a place that is designated by the U.S. Game and Fish as the single most important waterway to the North American wintering duck. That is huge. It's also been designated as a wetland of international importance. So you're going, Matt, why does that matter? Well, if you're looking at an investment, you're at best, now we're talking about protection. We're talking about enhancement. We're talking about at the, at the dime of the federal government. These guys are serious about their wetlands up there, as they should be, and they understand the importance. But the point is, when you're touching their ground, they want, number one, you have a built-in buyer at all times. The process may take a little longer, but you have a built-in buyer. Number two, they are keeping up their ground, right? They're, you, you're, they're, they're very restrictive on what you can do there, uh, which promotes and enhances the wildlife habitat. It's just an awesome concept. But when you look at it from an investment standpoint, people say, Okay, what do you do? Well, we look for undeveloped tracts of land that are on the Cash River, the White River, or Bayou de View. And then from that, we buy them, we take it, we develop it, and we enhance it. Okay? That's why, and that's wonderful, but how are you going to make money? And that's the question that people ask. Well, there's government programs. You know, there's CRP, there's WRP, which CRP is Conservation Reserve Program. You know, it pays yearly rental in exchange for farmers removing environmentally sensitive land from agricultural production and planting species that will improve environmental quality. That's a check. Now, the flip side of that is if you enroll in those programs, your land is going to be designated to be only used for that for X amount of time. It's just, but my point is, it's an ancillary source of income if needed. There is sharecropping, Right. I can go in a farm once to farm our beans on one of our farms. Great. Then you have a certain percentage that you can take of that yield. And more importantly, there's recreational and commercial leasing that goes on. They want to lease the recreational rights of the duck properties. So they want to go and they want to harvest your ducks and they pay a premium to do it. And if you have the right ground, it can be uber successful. We have, we have one purchase, uh, a closing that's set for Thursday, if I'm not mistaken that we have more than doubled our money in right over a year's time on a single purchase of one farm. And again, we're not talking millions, but we don't need to talk millions right now. It, it, that's, that's not the point. But the beauty of it is it just gives another portion of diversity to what you're doing. You know, you can have, we have these commercial properties here with tenants, and now we're talking about recreational investing 
And then I've gotten into tree farming and, you know, different aspects of that that have really diversified within diversity of a commercial real estate portfolio. So I'm always looking for diversity as much as I can get. Even if it's a building that I'm building, I don't want four 2,000 square foot units. I want a 600 and 800, and I'm kind of making up numbers here, but in other words, I need different sizes that can be compatible for different people, different clients. No different than why I want to branch off into recreational investing. No different to how I sometimes just put up capital. Speaking of capital, how much of your ease with which the, the, the ease with which you can raise capital can be attributed to your relationships that you have? Like if you were in a big city like Dallas or Houston, could you still get the capital so easily? You know, I've never thought about it that way, but that's a good point. And I think the answer to that for me personally is no. Mm. People have to see what you're about. Mm. You, it, it, once again, you're selling yourself. They've got to believe in you. And if they know you're working and they've seen you, they watch what you do. And it is not now. I, I assure you now that I have capital on standby for the right deal that is can be there quickly. So you don't keep an open credit line. You do go to the bank and talk or make a phone call. Oh, I'm so this. Here's something super interesting. We're talking about that. And I didn't realize you're going this way with that line of question. Answer your question. Yes, I truly believe in lines of credit. Always. It's another lifeline. But I'm talking about equity from other investors. And Brad Antonio says, Matt, here's X amount. Go fetch. That's built into, and we've got that pool. There's multiple people that are on standby that you can call that are willing to liquidate some money very quickly. And those are for flips or those are for buying holds? Those are for whatever you tell them to buy. Mm. There, it, it's been, it's truly amazing to me the amount of people with money that have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. There's a lot of that. You know. Great example of, we're talking equity. I never realized, going back to this first commercial deal with walk-ons, we lost out on another venture with walk-ons in another city, and we could have ripped off the deal. But the difference was, I didn't realize people were going around with these capital groups of made up of 15 investors. But the difference was, when you're dealing with substantial rent payments on multi-million dollar buildings, well, that interest that guys like me have to pay because we can't afford to put up all that money and just spend $4 million. Those groups that have, and they piecemeal it together, they're not paying interest. That interest that we are paying is a direct correlation to the rent we expect to receive. So when they don't have to pay that interest, they're going to beat us down all day long. We can't compete. And I never would have known that without, you know, and then that's how I started building my own equity groups. Mm. Well, man, I need this on standby. So, you build that in. You say, here's my 10 guys that I know I can make a phone call and we can raise $250,000 in 10 minutes. And you being an attorney, you're able to easily form groups, which you probably LLC, right? Is that how that oh, works? Gosh, yes. We, we you know, probably seven or eight of them. Wow. And it's, um, to answer your question, yes. What's your end game? Where do you see this going? Where are your investments taking you 15 to 20 years from now? Hopefully around the world, you know, I've, and that's another thing that I certainly have picked up from you. I've enjoyed traveling these last five years of my life more than I ever thought I imagined. I'm going back to Europe in September. I just got back. I plan on going every year until I can't walk. Sweet. That was an eye-opening experience for me. But, you know, we talked about that 
recently, and you had asked what's in game, and I thought that was it, but then I don't know if there's an in game. You know, now the more I think about it, I'm going, I don't know, maybe I'm going to be like my dad at 81. He'll never stop. Until his body tells him he can't go, he's not quitting. What am I going to do? Sit home? Yeah, if I, I if can't. you like the thrill of the deal, I'm the same way, man. I, I love a deal. It's it's energizing. Um, but at the same time, it well, as long as I should say, as long as your health is good, it you should continue doing it, right? Because I'm torn sometimes between growth and enough. And it's a balance. So earlier I wanted to ask, no vacations, no refresh, no reset. But now I didn't have to ask the question because you're saying that you are taking time to travel. And I know that you did come to visit me in Mexico that time, which surprised the shit out of me. But I literally finished a jury trial. Before the verdict came back, I jumped on a plane, spilled coffee all over myself. And I'll never forget jumping off on Fifth Street. But you're right. I did come. We were successful in that verdict. <laughs> and here I am. But I don't know. It's such a hard question. Is it enough? I, I I struggle with that all the time, man. I really do. And I don't know where the hell it's going to take me, but it does frustrate me because even then, look, I told you about that trip just recently to Europe. I went stir crazy though on about day four. And the problem was right when they were starting here, we were shutting down over there. And I'm trying to email and call and going crazy because I can't see and know what's going on here to make sure the phone calls were returned to make sure something didn't go south that I didn't see. And that aggravated me and I couldn't shut it off. Did I still have fun? Absolutely. But I can't say that I can just turn it off. That's not happening. Mm. And, and I don't know that I want to. Yeah. Well, if your blood pressure's good <laughs> and I'm you're healthy, still, man. you're taking time to exercise. Every day. You sleep in seven, eight hours usually. Yeah, debatable. But, you know, that's all right. The um, But I am healthy. Your relationships I'm good, man. I've grown a lot. You know, as a, you get older, I certainly sure as hell was never married, never. Um, let's see how I can say this. I was not prepared to take any next step in my life. And I, I'm just getting there. I mean, it's I had no business being married at any point in time early. Not that I'm married now, but I clearly had no business being married at any point prior to now. It's. Um, it becomes very selfish, man. When you when you when you're ate up that much with the desire to succeed in whatever it is you're gonna do, you start neglecting other people. You don't mean to, and it's very frustrating. You're not trying to to blow someone off, but things get hectic, and all of a sudden you look back, you're going, "Oh damn, man! I didn't talk to so and so, and they had called." You know, if it's business, of course you call back, and if it's not, you're going, "I feel like a terrible friend," but you got to stay in line. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just what you got to do. So as you've gotten older, do you prioritize relationships more than you did, say, seven years ago? No. Are, are you talking about an intimate relationship? Well, that's a good point. Because that I can answer yes. Well, you made it to my wedding. Yeah. And it's hot as hell. <laughs> and you have a serious girlfriend now. Mm-hmm. And you took her to Europe, right? Yes. So that sounds to me like prioritizing relationships. Yes. And that's why I asked, I had to distinguish if you were talking about who I'm dating now versus or just the friendship world before. But yes, I've definitely taken that um, seriously. And 
more importantly, she certainly understands and appreciates work ethic. Mm. She is a hard worker and I respect the hell out of her. Really good person. Enjoying everything about it. It's just still trying to find that balance to know when to, to, to internally tell myself to shut it off. I do find myself when I, when we're hanging out, if she is in town, um, definitely it'll change what I do that night to where tonight's a perfect example. I'm going to go home. I can tell you right now, it's going to be a late night. I will be up past midnight, probably one o'clock. Don't know what. Some form of work is going to be involved. Some type of reading is going to be involved, but the brain will not be shut off tonight. I just know those nights and I'm in for one of them right now. Just preparing for a podcast will have me juiced up to where I can't. All of a sudden, you look back, it's 2 o'clock, you're going great. Two months went off at 6, I'm going to feel like death when I wake up. But you just do and you move on. So I think I'm getting better in that department, and I certainly see it. But she doesn't live here right now, so I can't say I do it every night. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and what's her name? Stephanie. Stephanie. All right. How long have y'all been seeing each other? It will be a year in July. Nice. She is actually the first cousin of our college roommate. Clint Joe for y'all. That's correct. Do, baby. <laughs> That's correct. Nice. So you took her to Europe recently, and I did the same thing when I started dating my now wife. We went on a trip, and we were together 24-7. I want to know, what did you learn about your, relation, your relationship spending 24-7 with her? I will say this. I was pleasantly surprised. Not that I expected something bad, but I never got frustrated. I never got, I mean, I tend to get agitated so easily with anything. And I know majority of that is on me. It's not like I'm blaming. I'm very good about realizing my faults when it comes to having such a short tolerance. Yeah, just yeah. the tolerance. Bills. But she's, you know, it was nice to know that I didn't come back wanting to jump off a bridge on any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we had a good time. She's very structured. And that's where I like when I travel. I don't I don't need to know where I'm going the next place. But it is nice to have somebody else that's very organized in that capacity mm-hmm. to where I can step into your trip. Let's do what you want to do. And boom, boom, boom. We're here, here, here and here. And it ended up being an awesome educational experience. It was awesome. Jesus. I can't. She made a book for it on the way back that was really cool. Had all the places we went, pictures we took. Just really fun. That's really cool. So you're going to back to Europe in September? Yes. Where are you headed? Going to Rome, Milan, Florence, Cinque Terre. Cinque Terre. Cinque Terre. Cinque Terre. <laughs> and uh, the Swiss Alps. I want to ask you about books. What is one book that you've read that you think everyone should read? Mm. probably How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm. I can't, look, when I read books, I'm not a person who's going to pick up on every detail there. But there's certain things that stick out and certain ones. And I love how they talk in that book about the ability to deal with people. And I'll give you a good example is here. You can be one of the office and you have a problem. One of the girls um, may do something that you don't think is in line with what should be done. That book teaches you how to handle people in that capacity, saying, hey, look, Wendy, you are doing X, Y, and Z. Fantastic. Let's work on Q. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that goes a long way because you are sincere about your appreciation. You're certainly not trying to scare them off. And you want them to know how appreciated you are for working your ass off with me. That is important. But I've learned to compliment before coming down. It's not coming down, but compliment before critiquing. 
and I've learned to critique in the right way. I've got, you know, people, they have these horror stories, they think I'm a lunatic to work with, but I know that my girls here, that we all work together, don't say that. Because my appreciation is, you wouldn't believe how I'll send texts all the time. Great job today. It could be at nine at night, it could be at one in the morning. And they're laughing, but you know what? Half of them are here. <laughs> I've been very blessed to have some awesome people that we work with that work their butts off. And that is hard to find right now. There's nothing that frustrates me more than the person who works from 830 to 430, shuts their computer down at 427, and sits in their car, even though they're here early, and refuses to come to the door before 830. It drives, I can't have that, man. You're out. You're not on my team. Just do the little things, man. Do the extra stuff that can go a long way. And people fail to do it. Put the cap on the toothpaste. That's it, man. Uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Chase had referenced that book, and it is. I mean, he is. Chase Lambin. Yeah, Chase. Awesome dude. I really enjoyed that podcast on the tractor the other day. Listen to the (laughs) whole thing. Love that guy. Man, uh, amazing. He he didn't make it to the show, but God, his character. He reminds me of Chipper Jones. Same type of organizational guy. Never gave up. Same organization. Same like Derek Jeter. What do those guys have in common? Loyalty. Character. You'd say the same thing about Chase. Yep. But long story short, um, great book. And when I look at something, I say, what one word do I take from that? David Goggins, it would be insane. His mental capacity is something that is unparalleled. I don't know if anyone can handle it. Chipper Jones, ball player, loyalty. He, he wasn't in the same reality as you. And I don't know if I admired him for it or thought, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I was blown away at some of the things I read in that book. And then Nick Saban. This guy is a detail freak. And what I found interesting about that book as well was, guess what? Guess who's the one person who he said has ever outworked him? Bill Belichick. <laughs> imagine that. Head coach, and at the time, Saban is his defensive coordinator at Cleveland. Can you imagine that staff? And they still, to this day, remain very, very close, if not best friends. But I found that very, again, it's look at who you're around, man. Yep. It's the same thing. Absolutely. You're going to attract what you become. If you're reading about Tiger and Goggins and Saban, you're not going to do much better than that. Oh, by the way, I took your advice. I did read, um, you know, the author of it. Oh, gosh, what's the name of it? Give me a hint. (laughs) I gave it to Stephanie the other day. I said the other day about a month ago. I read it so quickly. Um, Oh, The Millionaire Next Door? The Millionaire yeah. Next Door. I'm thinking, God, only I only had read this three months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about some really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it really puts things into perspective. And it uh, that was a good read. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And I'm a huge fan of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, God, it's an easy read, too, man. Yeah. I, I bought that book for the head coach at Nichols the other day and, and left a little note to him saying, you need to read this. If you didn't read it in 72 hours, you got a problem. <laughs> Nice. Doesn't he reference, the author reference Ralph Waldo Emerson in that book? Yes. And said that there's always something that you can learn from other people and something to appreciate. And everybody that he met, he, he approached them that way. And when you think about that, like somebody is superior to you in some way, it's just a matter of trying to figure out what that is. So you, you get, you, you, express genuine interest in them and then you learn things that oh you know about that and i had no clue about so i, I just remember that from that book that's really interesting I, well since reference emerson his ability to how he remembered everyone 
you know, the, the importance of knowing someone by first name and the ability to do that yeah. on the fly. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that was a reference in that book to that, but that is an outstanding ability and it really sticks out to people. Oh, God, yeah. And, and that's something that I've referenced in podcasts is about I, when I journal, I write people's name down that I met. And then I almost always remember their name the next time I see them. And they always say, I think we've only met one time. Like, how do you remember my name? And I'm like, how could I not? I wrote it down the night I met you, you know? So it, it sticks with me and I, I, you know, I write it down and I underline it and it doesn't matter if it's my attorney or if it's my janitor, you know, the guy who cleans the toilets at the, at the office. So yeah, yeah I think that's really important. And uh, another quote from that book, he said that um, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in trying to be interesting in two weeks. Meaning shut up and listen. That's it. Look, I, I have a, a friend of mine I told not long ago, another attorney, I had to tell this individual, I said, your biggest problem is you cannot shut up. You have no ability to listen. Zero ability to shut up and listen, understand and comprehend. It goes back to that exact principle. Let them talk, man. And yeah. be genuine about it. Give gives a damn about you. Yeah. Shut up and listen. Get to know them. People are trying to think of what to say next, I guess. I don't know, but it drives me crazy. Yeah. It just, there's times where you need to just be quiet and listen. Yeah. I tweeted the other day that I turned 39 on Wednesday last week. And if you're younger than me and you spend more time talking than listening, you got a problem. You need to recalibrate. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a big fan of that, too. What's the best way to say thank you? Thank you, Nick. Thank you notes are becoming obsolete. They're on life support. Are you keeping them alive? All the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. I just, I, I can't even go into that. Nonstop. I, I remember. That, my mom does that. that she's, uh, my mom is constantly writing to people. And I guess that's where I picked that up from. Um, so it wasn't just reading books by Napoleon Hill who tell you to do it. I watched my mom do that my whole life. Wow. She, to this day, does it all the time. She writes really well, and it's uh, I know when I get them, I love them. It yeah. just goes a long way to me. It's just a quick thank you. It shows – it's just a little more sincere. Yeah. And like you said, it is just it, – it's nobody does it anymore. That's it. It stands out more because everybody's emailing. Say thank you, man. Yeah. And write it. Take a little time to do it. And I, I think George Bush, the elders, attributed personal thank you notes – when he was asked, what do you most attribute to your rise, your rising the ranks? He said, thank you notes. You're absolutely correct, but it was in the hundreds a day this man wrote. It made me think, does he sit down and write all day long? Yeah. Because he said he wrote over 100 thank you notes a day. And I guess when you're in that position, you meet that many people. Yeah. But I'm going, man, this is, this is crazy. How long did that take? How's that possible? But he did it. And you're right. That's exactly what he attributed to. I just have a few fun, quick questions for you, and then I'll... What place would you most like to visit in the world? I would say Thailand. I, I, I don't even know why, man. I just think it's beautiful. I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I also love to go to Africa, too. I can't pinpoint where. Um, but Thailand is what I'd say right now. Cool. If someone dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? I would buy a place in the woods that everyone could enjoy. Give keys to all my friends, everyone who wanted to. Something unique about that. We we have some really good times out there and have a nice little simple log cabin, a big old pond, 
and it's a community place. Everyone come enjoy. I love that answer. Two more questions. What are you most grateful for? As I've gotten older, I think the answer to that is the, you know, family. I've had parents who have instilled what I think are some strong principles in myself. But really, through this job, one thing I'm seeing is health. You know what I mean? Just the ability to see and hear and smell and and have the ability to leave here and go run. I used to take that for granted. And I'm to a point now with, with you know, you're debating marriage and you, and you sorry, Stephanie, I don't mean debating. <laughs> but you're talking about marriage and then you think kids and you go, man, who would ever thought if you ever thought about a child? Now you're thinking is, I just hope it's healthy. I've seen some friends and they've got the cutest little kids, but they, they may have an illness, whatever it may be. And it's really taken a toll on them and they're better people for it. Don't get me wrong. But health, man, on, on top of being fortunate to have the proper guidance growing up to make you who you are, health has, has been a blessing. That's a great answer. How can people find more out about you online? Well, we have AmmoTrialLawyers.com, AmmoTitleServices.com, um, or AmmoTitle.com. And then, of course, there's I don't do much personal Instagramming, but we have the AMO Title Services Instagram, Facebook, and about to unleash the AMO Trial Lawyers Instagram. So that, that's where we're at there. I am not personally on social media a ton, but it is a very important tool marketing-wise that we're becoming very involved with. Very good. All right, look for him on Instagram. I just want to tell you that I've known you since I was a little kid, and I've always liked the shit out of you. (laughs) We went to St. Joseph Elementary School together, and um, we reconnected in college, and I knew right away that you were somebody that was going to be a lifelong friend. I mean, it was like we didn't skip a beat. We hadn't talked in probably five or six years And we decided maybe that first meeting that we were going to be roommates for the next three or four years. And then you moved in with me in Houston for your first year of law school. And I think we've grown together. I knew that you were always going to do big things. I I just knew it. You were determined. Um, And we I think that we fed off of each other. And you surprised me when you came to visit me in Mexico. Man, that was awesome. Well, look, I, I feel the same way. And I can tell you. Well, certainly we're always going to be lifelong friends, but touching on that, where I drudge my true friends out is the ability or if I low maintenance friends, the ability, like you said, if I didn't see you for six years, there's no, I'm not asking you why you didn't text me back. I'm asking you how you've been. You know what I mean? And that's the mark of real true friends now where I will pick up and go see you in Mexico or Germany or wherever the hell you want me to go. And we can just catch up. And the older I got, those friends that you have like that are the ones that are lifelong. And they're they're hard. You're never going to replace them. Absolutely. So it's been a pleasure, man. I can't thank you enough. Um, I had a blast. This was fun. Thank you for doing this. I love you, man. You too. (laughs) Thank you, friends, for joining us today. I know that you can be doing anything in the world, but you chose to join me and Matt And he answered some questions that were really personal. I really appreciate him doing that, man. Thank you. Um, My Twitter and Instagram is at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.